Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. With families traveling and people moving about, uh, uh, sometimes in holiday seasons, uh, we have a service or two that is like this with plenty of empty chairs, but you know what? That's a good opportunity because we can... Uh, come together and be reminded that we're not here just for packed services. Can you say amen? amen. We're not here to serve the Lord just uh, when the chairs are full. We're here to serve God through thick and thin and to do what's right, even uh, when it doesn't seem um, easy. So I want to ask you this evening to open up your Bibles to the book of Daniel in chapter 6. The book of Daniel, chapter 6, I... As I was uh, preparing for this evening, I was uh, trying to remember the last time I preached in the book of Daniel, and it's, uh, it's been a while. And so um, if you've been here for the last uh, several weeks, you know that I've been preaching uh, a theme on gratitude and thanksgiving on Sunday mornings, and uh, at the risk of taking it too far, <laughs> I want to preach one last message on the theme of thanksgiving and gratitude tonight. and uh, But I want to take a different twist on it from the book of Daniel because of something that is mentioned in this book, something powerful, that uh, is connected to the Thanksgiving celebration. So uh, if you can remember back to your uh, public school education, most of us can remember the secular tech teachings of what Thanksgiving was all about. You know, the public schools today, they don't want to teach our children uh, what Thanksgiving really is because if they did that, then they'd have to uh, be providing the truth, which is that Thanksgiving is a religious holiday. And so to try to whitewash that and try to uh, clean it up for a secular, um, uh, for a secular teaching, a secular version of that, what they teach children and what I was taught uh, in public school is that Thanksgiving is a nice celebration of the pilgrims uh, thanking the Indians for their kind benevolence and teaching them how to, uh, to plant and harvest uh, maize on that first winter. And certainly, those aboriginal people, those Native Americans, had a, a great part to play for those uh, teaching them how to work the land in that environment. Uh, But if we celebrate Thanksgiving without acknowledging God, then we've done it wrong. Thanksgiving, for many people, has become mostly a secular celebration of turkey, football, Native Americans, and gluttony. But that is not how it started. Thanksgiving started as a deeply religious 
and uniquely American holiday. As I mentioned, you will not find a celebration like this in any other nation. The only people who's, uh, who are celebrating Thanksgiving outside of America are Americans. And that is because it is woven in to the very fabric of our society, the idea of gratitude to God. And I think that is part of why our nation has become so radically blessed in the last 200 years is because something grows out of gratitude, a heart that is grateful. It stirs something in our culture, in our society. And as now in the last perhaps 40 to 50 years, as that spirit of gratitude is leaking out, it is being, uh, it is being leached out of many, many people. And we, we are living now in a culture where that gratitude that we are celebrating tomorrow is not part of everyday experience. And at the same time, we are seeing how the blessing of our nation is being reduced in many circles. Let me remind you tonight why Thanksgiving is not just a secular celebration but indeed is a truly deeply spiritual and religious holiday. I want to go back to 1789, and just to remind you, 1789 was a critical year in the formation of our new country. 1789 was uh, the very first year that we had a working government. Uh, George Washington had become the president. There was a Congress working uh, to... Uh, produce bills and laws. And this is the very first time this American experiment is being put to the test, 1789. Very early on in the process, one of the very first acts that was passed by Congress was an official request to President George Washington. They requested that he would proclaim a day of thanksgiving. And so, October 3rd, 1789, this is the very first national proclamation. Certainly not the first. Uh, there were many that went back uh, hundreds of years into the first colonies. And by the way, the very first Thanksgiving that was celebrated was not in Massachusetts, as, as uh, many believe. It was actually here in Virginia. Going back all the way to 1607. Uh, do the research. You'll be amazed. But uh, here in 1789, now we have an American government, and this is the proclamation uh, portion of it that I'd like to read to you tonight from President George Washington. He says it in these words. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore his protection and favor. Both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many favors of Almighty God by affording them an opportunity peaceably 
to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. This is your first president of your nation. He says, I therefore do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being. Did you ever wonder why you didn't hear this in public school? That great and glorious being, capital B, who is the beneficent author, capital A, of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering to him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country. It goes on. I, I don't... I could take 10 minutes and read the whole thing. I would encourage you to do that, though. Because what George, President George Washington is calling for, one of the very first acts of our first government, is to call a day of thanksgiving. But what I want to zero in on here tonight is how is it that thanksgiving was supposed to be expressed? What is the the uh, practical way that we show thanksgiving. What was the original intent of those pilgrims? How is it that they showed their gratitude to God? What actions did they take? We know that they, they had a celebration, they came together. But the principal way that they expressed gratitude is very interesting to me, and it's reflected there. In that proclamation, it said it was a public day of thanksgiving and prayer. That's right. Prayer means communication with God. And that's where our story from Daniel comes in, because Daniel was famous for his habit of prayer. So this is a message I've titled, Thanksgiving Prayers. And I want you to read with me Daniel 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 7. It says, All the governors of the kingdom, all the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, be cast into the den of lions. So here's the government... Of, uh, of the day that uh, Daniel lives, and they're making a law against prayer. Do you know why they're doing that? Because they know Daniel prays. The only way that we can get him is to make a law against prayer. Let that be true again, uh, about your life. The only flaw that we could get you on is that you pray too much. Verse 8, now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, watch this. What does Daniel do? How does he react to this law being passed in the land? When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he ran away. No, that's not what it says. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he got stressed out. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he cowered in fear and decided not to pray that day. No, it doesn't say any of those things, does it? 
It says that he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times, prayed and gave thanks. Did you catch it? He prayed and he gave thanks before his God, as was his custom. Everybody say the word custom. Since early days. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. Tonight, I pray, God, that as we approach this Thanksgiving holiday, that we realize this is not a a day of feasting primarily. This is not just a day of celebration. Lord, this is a day of prayer. It's a day of communication with you. It's a day that we ought to set aside to tell you directly, not just expressing to one another, but God, that you would show us and help us to be constantly in our hearts and in our minds showing the gratitude that we have, yes, to the people around us, but even more so to you directly, Lord. And we thank you for this opportunity. Bless our service tonight in Jesus' name. God's people would say, amen. Amen. Thanksgiving prayers. And I want to begin by helping you to understand that there is a certain habit that many of us fall into. I'm including myself in this tonight. And I want to call it the habit of immediacy. It's the idea that demands things happen quickly. This is especially uh, toxic in our current generation in a time where we have technology at at our fingertips and we can make things happen. I was just thinking the other day how, uh, how, you know, if if you want to move um, uh, money, from one account to another, how quickly can that happen now, right? Most of the time, you can move money from one account to another. I can do that in my app on my smartphone, and I can do it in seconds, not minutes. Do you know what it used to take to move money from one account to another? It took an hour, because you at, at, the, at the fastest you could do it. You would have to get in your car, drive down to the bank, uh, put in a request, fill out a form, and then, uh, and then the, 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 the person behind the counter would have to look at that and, and make a change and write the note, and, and then finally, the money could be moved. Yeah, next day, next business day. And before we had cars, before there was uh, uh, industrial revolution, there were still banks, you know, before that. <laughs> It would take days. It would take weeks just to move money. And and that's just one tiny example of how our world has changed so quickly so that we are used to things happening quickly. We're used to it. We're used to getting our business done quickly. We're used to making money quickly. You know, this is why uh, living in an agrarian society, in in a culture that is mostly... Farming, like if you travel to some third world countries, there are some places that are still farming societies. They're an agrarian culture. They don't have a lot of the technologies that we have. And in many ways, those people are better off than we are. If you live on a farm, you understand something, that not everything happens right now. See, you can't make a seed turn into a fruit quickly. It takes time. There's a process, preparing the ground, dropping the seed, treating it right, 
sunshine, rain, pull the weeds. And over time, a sprout will come out of the ground. Over time, you take care, you tend, you pull the extras so that there's space for those that grow. There's, there's trimming. There's all this thing involved. And maybe six months down the road, you'll have enough to sell at the marketplace so that you can feed your family. See, people who live on a farm or people who live in that agrarian culture have a better understanding than we do today. For us, if you get hungry, planting a garden is not an option. You can just pull into the closest McDonald's and have a hot meal in about 30 seconds, right? And this is the habit of immediacy. And what happens as we embrace this, as we live this in our day-to-day lives, we can run into a great mistake spiritually. We can apply the truth of immediate things happening all around us and tell ourselves, okay, this is how the kingdom of God works too. But that is not true. That is far from truth. Yes, there are some things that happen quickly in the kingdom, but very few. Can I tell you, you don't turn from a... uh, uh, you, you don't turn from a sinner to a mature Christian in one day, do you? No, it takes a lifetime, doesn't it? It takes a lifetime. You're not finished yet. You're still half-baked. God's still working on you. There are still a few weeds to pull out of your wicked heart, aren't there? It takes time. It takes patience. It does not happen immediately. See, we want things to happen immediately. Don't believe me? Look at any infant in the world. Did you know that there is no such thing as an incorrect infant? Whatever that infant wants, that infant is going to get. And that's why mothers are especially prepared by God to deal with crying infants. Because the infant is never wrong. You can't reason. Would you just stand up straight? Would, would you just get your act together? Can you say that to an infant? Why don't you just get a job and feed yourself, you big jerk? Quit being so selfish. That doesn't work too well, does it? Because an infant is never wrong. The infant doesn't understand that life is not about immediacy. See, this is one of the marks of growth. A mark of maturity tonight is understanding things don't happen immediately. Things don't happen quickly all the time. Sermons don't get over in five minutes, do they? Sometimes it takes a little time. And that's why it's important to stay awake. <laughs> That's why it's important to hang and to keep your mind focused. See, we live in a culture that says, if I want to have someone intimately, then I'll just take that. Why should I wait? But some things should take time. What used to in our world take months or years, now we can do it instantly 
And we've been trained to expect things quickly in every area of life, but things don't work like that in the kingdom. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. Matthew 13, 31, this parable he put forth to them, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Seeds take time. And this is one of the biggest problems of prayer. Because when you sit down to say a prayer, you're half expecting God to answer that prayer by the time you're finished praying. (laughs) Because we've been trained. We've trained ourselves to expect things to happen quickly. God, would you save that crazy, stupid loved one from their sins? And we expect that to happen tomorrow. Now, I'm all about faith and believing God and preparing for the answer of our prayers. But listen, sometimes we've got to be prepared to work things through. You know, the Bible says about Jacob. Jacob, who was a a man that's chosen by God. We know that God specially prepared him because he had a desire for the kingdom. But listen, he didn't get everything that God had for him in one day. It was a process, wasn't it? It was years. It was a process of time, living under Laban. Uh, he, he also had this amazing uh, journey as he's preparing to meet his brother Esau. He's worried, you know, that he's ticked him off in the past and, and he doesn't know what's going to happen next. And there in the middle of the desert, he meets with God, an angel of the Lord, and wrestles with him all night. See, that was not an instant decision, was it? wrestles with the angel. He says, no, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Wrestled it through, prayed it through. It's a picture of prayer. And listen, what we must have tonight in our prayer lives is a sense of persistence. But you won't have it if you expect things to happen immediately. You won't have it if you have that microwave faith that says a three minutes, boop, 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 done. That's that's mostly what we pray, is microwave prayers. 30 seconds or less, one button to cook the popcorn. And if we pray in that manner, do you know what happens to us? We lose our faith. Because if we begin to pray prayers like that, and God is not touched by our prayers, then guess what? Our prayers go unanswered. And that means that we get discouraged and it leads to less and fewer prayers and it leads to, uh, to twisted spirits and it leads to ingratitude. Thanksgiving is expressed in prayer. So I want to give you a new perspective tonight. I want to encourage you by reminding you that the best thing that could ever happen to you is something difficult. Human beings were not made to go the easy way. Human beings, we were not designed to live without a load to bear. We are load-bearing creatures. God created us 
to labor. I'm starting to lose a few of you. God created us to work, to carry a weight. Now, in our sins, we understand in the world we're carrying the wrong weight. We're carrying the weight of sin and a burden of shame and guilt. God didn't create us to carry that burden. But He did create us for a specific purpose to carry burdens and weights and things that we ought to be doing for the kingdom. The most successful life in this world is not an easy life. It's a life of burden. It's a life of doing something difficult. I can remember in my life, um, you know, that one of the things we miss about living in Arizona is that there in Arizona, uh, there are mountains everywhere. You can look almost in every direction, and, and on the horizon, you will see a mountain somewhere. Those of you who've been to Arizona, you know that. And you see these uh, amazing brown mountains with almost no trees or foliage on them, only the saguaro cactuses keeping you company. And uh, one thing that we used to do, we used to enjoy there in, in Arizona is hiking on these mountains. If you've ever hiked a mountain, we actually, uh, just in our, our last camping trip, we, we hiked a mountain. And uh, if you've ever done that, you know that it is very hard. There is a strain, there is a stress involved. That there are hours of labor involved in climbing up a mountain. But, so why would people do that? Why would you choose to make your legs so sore, make your back and your feet so sore climbing up a stupid mountain? Why would you do that? Because when you get to the top, it's like a spiritual experience, isn't it? You look around and you're on the top of the world. We were, I mean, that is like the third tallest mountain that we climbed back in June. It's the third tallest mountain in Virginia. You're like on the ceiling of the whole state and you're looking around and you see the clouds. And you feel closer to God. And it's, it's this incredible moment. And you say, wow, I'm so glad we did that. Aren't you glad, those of you who are there, aren't you glad we did that? That was amazing. That's why we did that back in Arizona. Why would we uh, uh, expend so much energy to go to the top of a mountain? Because it pays off. And this, beloved, this is why we choose to do hard things in life. This is why we choose to have children. Having a child is not easy. Parents can say amen. (laughs) there's a lot of work labor pain money expenses attitudes runny noses sicknesses heartache betrayal there's a lot of that involved isn't it so why do we do it who's snoring He has no idea about what I'm preaching tonight. That's why, that's why we do these things, because there's a payoff. Because one day it'll be worth it. Somebody say amen. One day it'll be worth it. Why do we choose to live this difficult Christian life? 
Why do we choose to pay a tithe when we don't really have to? Why do we choose to come to church on a Wednesday night when we could be sleeping like RJ? Why do we choose to go on outreach on Saturday morning when we could be working on the the house? Why do we choose to follow up on people even when they don't answer our phone calls and our text messages? Why do we continue to outreach and preach the gospel when we get rejected time and time again? Why do we do all these hard things? For the one soul that gets saved and becomes an integral part of our church. That's why we do it. And we populate heaven one soul at a time. That's why. Because we get to the top of the mountain and we look around and we say, man, that was awesome. That was amazing. Listen, if you're doing something easy, it's probably not worth anything. If you find yourself slipping into the easy things of life, it's probably worth nothing. You'll look back on it one day and you'll probably just forget about it. This is where we come back to our scripture. You thought I forgot about it, didn't you? Looking at Daniel, we learn something amazing about this man, Daniel. We learn that he had a custom. You read this again in verse 10 of our scripture. It said that with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom. Everybody say again, custom. His custom since early days. What do we find out about Daniel? That he had a custom of prayer. He had a custom of doing something that was difficult. Now, you you know that prayer is not an easy thing, right? Anybody who says prayer is easy doesn't understand what real prayer is. (laughs) Prayer is something difficult, but he had created a custom in his early days that has followed through. Now, Daniel's an old man when this scripture is written. And yet, here he is that no matter what the circumstances are, even though there's a country around him, there's a government that is persecuting him, they've just passed a law that said, if you pray to anybody except the king, and we'll throw you in the lion's den. And he says, well, I've had a custom of doing hard things my whole life. So I'm just going to keep doing that hard thing. I'm going to pray. And it's interesting that the windows were open. He wanted to make sure that everybody could see. But most of all, he wanted to make sure that he could see and that God could see him. He says, I don't care what the consequences are. You can can kill my body if you want to. But I'm going to keep my custom from the early days. This is why it's critical that we develop healthy habits in our lives. Somebody say amen. We have a good, good, easy time at making bad habits, don't we? Oh, it's really easy to make a bad habit. But it takes some work. It takes some labor. It takes climbing up a mountain to create a good habit in your life. It takes some work to develop a prayer life. It takes some work to develop a Bible study habit. 
It takes some work. It's climbing. It's going up. It's defeating the gravity of laziness. But if we'll be diligent, there's a mountaintop waiting for us. See, Daniel had a mountaintop experience. They saw him praying that day, and we know what happened. Every Sunday school kid has heard this story. They arrested him, they threw him in the lion's den, and everybody expected him to get eaten, probably even himself. But the Lord closed the mouths of those hungry lions. And he stayed there the whole night. I bet I know what he was doing. He was keeping his custom from his early days. What about you when the lions are surrounding you? What about you when they pass laws against Christianity and against Christian principles? Do we fold like a folding chair? Or do we persist? Do we continue? I want to challenge every person here. Love is something that is persistent. Righteousness is something that is persistent. Anything that is of value in this life is something that must persist. It must continue. Jesus told a parable, Luke 18. And the purpose of the parable comes right out at the front. It's interesting, you know, usually you get the moral of the story at the end. But Jesus gave us the moral right at the beginning. And it's in Luke 18, verse 1. The parable was that men should always pray and not lose heart. And now comes the parable. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. Verse 5. It said that day after day she persisted to this wicked judge. She persisted to demand justice. She persisted, knocking on his door every day. Would you avenge my situation? Would you make sure that this turns out right? Day after day, she persisted like a dripping water on his his forehead until finally, verse 5, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, she wearies me. And Jesus says about this story, here is commentary. Did you hear what the unjust judge said? And shall not God avenge his own who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? The moral of the story is that the same way this woman came and pestered a wicked judge is the way you and I ought to be in our prayer life and our praise and our thanksgiving. We Every day we should wake up and... Lord, it's me again. And I've got a few things that I need. Lord, it's me again. And my children need some help. Lord, it's me again. And I've come because there's some things happening in my soul that I need you to help me with. That's good preaching, Pastor. I'll say amen if nobody else will. Persistent. Persistence. Persistence is hard. It's difficult. 
I love the infamous speech of President John F. Kennedy when he challenged the nation in the middle of a Cold War. And he challenged the nation in 1963. He challenged this nation to go to the moon before the end of the decade. In seven years' time, he challenged a nation to innovate and to create and to engineer and to invent and to put all of the process in place to get a man on the moon. It was an important event in our history. But the, the reason was interesting. He said, we choose to go to the moon not because it's easy, but because it is hard. Because as we strive as a nation, as we strive, as we, uh, uh, as we innovate, as we think through, as we push this idea, and we could have a mountaintop, or could we say a moontop experience. Listen, what mountaintop experiences are you missing out on because you gave up too quickly? Because you stopped praying? Because you stopped persisting, because you stopped wrestling with the angel of God. You stopped praying when they passed the law. You shut the windows and said later for that, that's too hard. Daniel in our scripture shows us that we must be persistent. We must continue when it's hard. We must have a vision. I'm not doing this for today. I'm not doing this to see a result tomorrow or next week. I'm not living for God. I'm not praying just to see an answer tomorrow. I'm not preaching to you tonight. I'm preaching to you 10 years from now. I'm preaching to who you will become. I'm giving not because I want to see a check in the mail tomorrow, but because I want to see a reward in heaven. I'm investing in my children and in my wife. I'm giving them my time and my affection, not because I want something back from them tomorrow, but because I want to see them thriving 10 years and 20 years from now. What about you? What mountaintop experiences are you foregoing because of laziness, because of inconsistency, I close with this illustration. There's a Swedish island named Vicinso. And in, on this island, there is a mysterious forest of oak trees. The reason it's mysterious is because oak trees don't grow on this island. The origin of the forest was unknown for over a century. In the year 1980 the Swedish Navy received a letter from the Swedish Forestry Department and the letter reported that the requested lumber was ready. Listen to this. The Navy had no idea that it had ordered any lumber. So they began to dig into the historical research and they discovered that in the year 1829, the Swedish parliament recognized that it takes an oak tree 150 years to mature. 
And so then, were at, they, at the time, they were anticipating a shortage of lumber to create new ships. So they put it in order with the Division of Forestry, asking that they would plant 20,000 oak trees for the Navy to build ships. 150 years later, they said, your oak is ready. That takes some vision, doesn't it? You know, an oak tree starts off about that big, an acorn. And from tiny acorns grow mighty oak trees. Mighty oak trees. The kinds of trees that can build ships that can sail around the world. You might think that your prayer doesn't matter. You might think that your giving doesn't matter, your righteousness, your faithfulness. You might think that nobody's watching, nobody's taking notice. You might think that in your little obscure corner of the world that nobody cares. But I tell you tonight, it's an acorn. And one day, that acorn can become something mighty. I challenge you tonight, have a vision for this church. Have a vision for your faith. Have a vision for your future. And through it all, we pray, we thank God, and we remain faithful. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes as we close this service tonight and as God speaks to our hearts. Is it... We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh,